right, cool. so should I do the thing? Yeah, do, do the thing. Hello, Sotans. Welcome to Sota, the podcast where we talk about all things art and a lot of them regarding Minnesota. I'm Jason McKenzie. And I'm Sarah Kensler. Today, we are continuing with our recent theme of educating ourselves in regards to anti-racism and, you know, checking ourselves for any racist predispositions. And to keep it uh, within the theme of the podcast, we are also, you know, turning everything back to the art world. The art world is a really interesting place in that the systemic racism is really, really apparent and not something that I see discussed a lot. There are other more pressing issues in the fight against systemic racism being discussed currently, but the museum world is where both Jason and I live. And so it's an area that uh, we feel very strongly about and can report on directly. And I don't know why I decided to go on this ramble. That wasn't really ramble. It was actually just a few seconds. So oh, okay, good. You know, don't be too hard on yourself. Okay, thanks. Lately, there have been a lot of criticisms of art museums. Uh, Right now with the coronavirus, it has caused a large swath of layoffs across the country. Most museums, I think, have laid off a majority of their staff, especially lower level staff, of course. And this is prompting a time of being able to step back, reflect, you know, this is an opportunity for what is left of the internal staff of the museum to regroup and rethink. However, with people, you know, like I said, often lower earners and people in entry and mid-level jobs, this also prompts them to be able to be free of, you know, fear of losing their job for speaking out because they've already lost it. And so, uh, you know, it's giving them kind of this freedom to, you know, speak out about their experience within institutions. And that has resulted in a lot of personal statements being made by former workers um, in the forms of either social media uh, conversations or open letters to the museum, some of which have gotten replies back. Some are actually seeing change happen. Some are, yes. And it's important to note, too, that this is a unique time because these problems have been, they've been going on for a long time. But the fact Mm -hmm. that um, the, the layoffs and the firing of in many cases, lower income museum workers from the institutions, you know, gives them this freedom. We're able to bring these issues to light without real fear of reprisal. The fear of reprisal is is very potent in a museum atmosphere. The, the humanities in general are a very emotional place to be. A, a lot of people go there because they feel strongly or they're emotionally attached to the cause of the nonprofit or the humanities institution. And so when there are issues like addressing systemic racism, harassment, it, it's hard to bring those up because a lot of times you're so emotionally entrenched within the organization and its message that it's hard to 
it's hard to to justify in your mind or i suppose rather you do a lot of you do a lot of uh, contorting in your mind as to why these things might be happening and and how long you can deal with them that is not to say that i understand all of the experiences we're going to relate to you today that's just from my own experience and the experience of those that i worked closely with so this is a terrible time but also kind of a a unique and glorious time in that many people can share their stories without this fear. We've covered the makeup of museum staff and as far as race and diversity and you know it's obvious that there are more white people in higher up positions and obviously again more by POC people who are in the lower levels and so it's very logical that with more lower level people being the ones who are laid off the most most people who have retained their jobs in institutions because they're in those higher positions are white. So you're seeing mostly white workforce, you know, who are the people who remain in institutions and, you know, kind of can be these makers of change. You know, they're the ones who can make the decisions and work from the inside out. And then on the other hand, you have museum worker demographics uh, at other levels are not mostly or equally by POC. However, you're going to see more people in that lower level be by POC. And they're the ones who are now laid off and having the chance or, you know, feeling the freedom or just being able to distance themselves and reflect on their experience and then call back to those who remain for change calling for action and calling for museums to recognize and acknowledge where they've gone wrong is radical. And it's it's revolutionary, really, in the humanities specifically. These museums that we're about to talk about today have done okay or very poorly. We, We chose these institutions because there have been very clear open letters to these institutions from their staff that remain or staff that have recently been laid off or fired. That's not to say that these are the only institutions that have these problems. It's just that these are the only ones that are being publicly called out right now. I'm sure that this will continue to happen as COVID continues and layoffs continue and people have the freedom and the distance to report truthfully on their experiences within these museums. But for now, we're just going to focus on a few. So I wanted to start by talking about the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, or SFMOMA. And SFMOMA, like many museums, did react to the recent protests and demonstrations that came along and are still going in the wake of George Floyd's murder. And by posting artwork by Black artists on social media that go along with a quote from the artist or a short statement of solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement... A lot of their audiences are criticizing that they're only doing lip service and they want more concrete outlines for institutional change to be put in motion. SF MoMA specifically posted Glenn Ligon's 1996 screen print titled, We're Black and Strong One, with a quote from Ligon that said, quote, why do we need to raise our hands in that symbolic space again and again and again to be present in this country? without any additional statement from the museum. Taylor Brandon, 
a former marketing associate at SFMOMA, responded saying it was a, quote, cop-out, criticizing SFMOMA for only amplifying a black artist, quote, during a surge of black mourning and pain, end quote, without providing a meaningful statement. The museum has a, quote, history of using black pain for their own financial gain, she wrote, and naming Chief of Marketing and Communications Officer Anne von Germitten, Deputy Director of External Relations Nan Keaton, and Director Neil Venezra, and called them, quote, profiteers of racism. Her comment included, quote, museums kill black people too. SFMOBA then deleted her comment and disabled any more comments on the post, which prompted strong reactions from the public. Soon after that happened, in an all-staff meeting at the museum, Keaton said, quote, some of the comments violated the terms of the platform as it created potential threats to individual staff and the museum, and we chose to disable all of the comments. This language threatens the safety of the museum and its staff. But the museum put out a public apology two days later saying, quote, the decision to limit comments was not consistent with our values at a, as a museum. Then Benezra said, I take full responsibility for the museum's actions. Three weeks later, it was announced that Keaton and SFMOBA have, quote, mutually decided to part ways. And Keaton's last day was Thursday, July 2nd. And her departure from the museum was because she was accused of promoting the censorship of a black former worker of SFMOMA. Unfortunately, we have more examples as well. So I'm going to talk about the New Orleans Museum of Art, or NOMA. It's in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, and there was an open letter to the museum that was written by five former workers of NOMA. They say that they are part of the 30 employees who have resigned from the museum in the past two years as a result of its, quote, toxic work environment and institutional racism. So here we're seeing an example of what Jason, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode where distance from the institution uh, works well to call them out on racist behavior. In their letter, the group outlined a number of allegations. They accused museum officials of blatant racism and homophobia. There were uses of slurs and discrimination against black workers in wages and job promotions, surveillance of targeted workers, which is absolutely egregious. But in this case, not the most egregious thing I read. We'll get to that in just a minute. The former workers say that when they reported these incidents to the museum's top officials, many of them were forced to sign non-disclosure agreements and were targeted and bullied until they resigned. And that kind of like squeezing someone out. We can't overtly fire this person, but we can make it extremely uncomfortable and unwelcoming. On top of just being a BIPOC in a white-dominated workplace in Mm -hmm. general uh, (laughs) and just kind of force them out that way is, I mean, some call it microaggressions, but that is aggressive AF and just abhorrent. And unfortunately, we can confirm that that happens. 
It does. Really, it's something that you can find if you go to Yelp and kind of look through the comments for pretty much any museum. There's usually a comment about a visitor feeling targeted by security staff. So these are not really out of the ordinary. The one that really got me in this case was the assertion that the authors of, of the letter say that some black staffers were asked to remove their dreadlocks. I want to know where the freedom of speech people are for these workers who <laughs> were forced Slow to have clap. their dreadlocks removed. Clap. Uh, no, really, where are you? Where are you when, when BIPOC people are forced or threatened into changing their personal appearance at their workplace? Where are you? Crickets. Anyway, that's that's terrible. I can't imagine working in a in a place like that. I can't imagine the stress in working in a place like that. They also say additionally that black school groups, interns and visitors were targeted and harassed by white staff while visiting Noma. And that these concerns were repeatedly brought up in departmental meetings and reported to HR but were quote buried or dismissed. Classic. Now, I, not surprised. Yeah. Um, in in both of our experiences, I think it's safe to say that museums are very, very bureaucratic and everything moves very slow in the museum world. Uh, and this doesn't seem to depend upon the size of the institution. It just seems to be something that is true overall. So I can see another alternative to these reports being buried or dismissed is that they were put into the bureaucratic system of reporting that exists within museums and were not given the full attention that they truly deserved. And the kind of cop-out to that action is, well, that's this is how the system works within this museum and you have to go through these processes and tell these people. That system is part of the systemic racism that we have discussed in this episode and previous episodes. So that's important to keep in mind as well when reading these comments. Nomad has declined to comment on the specific allegations in the letter, but they did write back, quote, thoughtful discourse is fundamental to who we are as an institution, and Noma's leadership understands and accepts the opportunities to engage in discussions about our role, scope, and mission. Okay, fine. I'm just going to say real quickly that that is a statement that should be obvious and really doesn't very do anything nice words. to yeah it is very nice of? words those are words in a sentence many of those words have more than two syllables and so it sounds like a very smart sentence good job noma i'm being sarcastic here this response is is floppy <laughs> it's flimsy how are you gonna put your money where your mouth is that's what people want to know mm-hmm. like you can say all the you know like sarcastically thoughts and prayers you know that you want but you need to say how you're going to do things because if you don't say it then wait you can't be held accountable right weird it's like they meant for that to happen oh my gosh that's so strange the group that wrote the open letter has demanded that the museum stops quote all forms of performative allyship black tokenism and virtue signaling immediately They also demanded a public apology from NOMA to, quote, all black, indigenous, and people of color, 
and LGBTQ former and current employees who have experienced discrimination and aggression at the institution, as well as an apology to the New Orleans community for failing to provide a safe space for visitors. I don't think that that's too much to ask, and honestly, that should just be step one in a many-faceted process to making sure that NOMA is on the right track to truly addressing the systemic racism that exists within the museum itself, within the staff, and within the community of the museum. It's really the least that they can do. Next, we're going to discuss a Midwest institution in Ohio. It's the Toledo Art Museum in Toledo, Ohio. And the open letter to this museum was created in the wake of the Toledo Art Museum's response to the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, and Ahmaud Arbery. The Toledo Museum of Art posted in their response that, quote, the Toledo Museum of Art does not have a political stance. We exist to provide access to the highest quality works of art from across time and space to anyone, regardless of their beliefs or their appearance. These are not empty words. This nonpartisan and disinterested approach is baked into our institutional DNA. That statement was written by the museum director, Adam Levine, who went on to say that um, it's important to recognize that the museum's statement of purpose recognizes neither class, creed, color, nor condition. So I want to address something real quick about the statement that this museum recognizes neither class, creed, color, nor condition. I'm making a, a connection to the argument of some folks who say that they don't see color. The response to which is basically the color of my skin, my physical condition, my accessibility condition is part of who I am. And if you don't see color, if you don't see disability, if you don't see creed, then you're not seeing me. And so that too is a cop-out in response to something that is very serious and demands a direct response. Absolutely. Silence in a time of conflict means that you're on the side of the oppressor, or I know that I didn't quite get that right, but you get the gist. I I do. And I think to this also could be referenced back to the book that you were reading, How to Be an Mm Anti-Racist, where the author talks about that you are either anti-racism or you are a racist there is no i'm not racist it's not yes it's not a value statement about yourself as a person so much as it is you need to have a statement yes or no that's it and that that simplifies it in a very meaningful way so right off the bat the toledo art museum's not not doing great that statement swiftly prompted concern on social media there, were, there was a response on Twitter from user Heike Vanian that said, Hey, at Toledo Museum, I love you, but you must either think we're idiots or you must not understand what you're talking about. I cannot believe we have people running major orgs who don't understand that not taking a stance is the most privileged, harmful choice you could make. And I have to agree. I can't see how they thought that was a good idea. Like, I literally cannot fathom how people who are highly educated, there's a bunch of people with PhDs that decided 
that that was the way to go. And I am aghast. Yeah, it's, this is not actually in the uh, description of the the story about the Toledo Art Museum's response. But I, I would guess, you know, even though these people are educated, that they're probably not by POC. And so they don't, no matter how much education they have, no matter how much personal experience they have, they still would not be able to see the problem with this statement because it doesn't, it doesn't represent life for them. And this gets back to the problem of diversification in museums. It has to be at the top. It has to be at the middle. It has to be at the bottom. It has to be everywhere. Because everywhere. Everywhere. Because that would keep statements like this from occurring. This is a great example of an institution that doesn't know how to respond to the killing of black people because it literally has no experience with it. Mm-hmm. And that's bad. That's a bad thing. Yes. Having... It's the same with people who make this statement. Oh, I don't like to get political or I choose not to get political. It's a privilege to not be able to be political because it means that politics don't affect you, a.k.a. your wealthy, You're white, above, above straight, political yeah. turmoil. Yeah. You're a rich, white, middle-aged male. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, really... It's akin to, you know, your experience with police as a white person mm-hmm. very differently from the experience with police as a by POC. And I think one of the most poignant things to say in these types of moments is that if you don't quite understand, if you're listening to this and thinking you don't quite understand where the privilege lies in that and, and why it's a bad thing to remain neutral, If you never had to have a conversation with your parents or your parents never had to pull you aside to tell you how to act with the police because there was a good chance that no matter what you did, it wouldn't go well, you have privilege there. There are many other resources. Please Google white privilege and go on your own journey. In response to hyperallergic's request for comment, The director of the Toledo Museum of Art pointed to their diversity, equity, and inclusion plans that they will be imposing since their internet response has gone viral. And so these types of happenings aren't isolated to these certain areas. And I have direct experience that it can happen in your own community. As we've mentioned many times before, I am away working on a biennial in Southern California And uh, close to me, the Palm Springs Art Museum had a, you know, somewhat similar situation where uh, Andrea Romero, who was a former curatorial assistant at the Palm Springs Art Museum, wrote an open letter to that institution. Her letter criticizes how the museum waited until June 3rd to comment directly on the protests and express solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement via Instagram. The letter calls that post, quote, a message of neutrality and using the artwork of Alison Saar, whose work is far from neutral. It is not enough for the museum to reflect on the power and possibility of art when there's no commitment to concrete and direct action against racism and anti-blackness at your institution and within your community. 
at the time that, yes, I used Art News this time instead of Hyperallergic. I know. What? It's crazy. I diversified. We did. (laughs) We do have other sources. Oh, well, I just, you know, you know, I I have, I just have a favorite. I I don't know. Anyways. At the time that this was reported on, it had about 200 signatures um, from Southern California art workers, including people from, you know, big institutions like the Broad and the Getty. Uh, Romero, who said she was fired from the museum, had experienced microaggressions during her time there and said, quote, the letter wasn't about my personal experience of systematic racism. It was just an overall critique on the way that the leading arts institution in the Coachella Valley is really failing their communities and communities of color, especially. The Instagram statement was nothing but rhetoric of neutrality, emphasizing all voices and all perspectives, which falls way below the standards of today's global and contemporary social movement against white supremacy and racial injustice. I don't understand how museums can release these types of neutral sounding nothing statements. I mean, have they not been paying attention to the past like four years? Well, most boards um, and, you know, upper leadership, as we've talked about, are one, white, and two, older. So they might think that it's good enough. I mean, I don't want to be ageist here, and I'm sorry that that really sounded like it. But there is something to be said about generations. And it might be that these kinds of things used to fly in the past, which I think that they would have, you know, like, I think maybe, maybe as soon as five years ago, you know, that statement would have been like, Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. All right. So they're they're giving everybody an equal thing. And that's good. And that just that just doesn't cut it anymore. No. And it never should have. But, you know, society develops slower than, you know, we would like it to most times. You know, a lot of these people who vote on what these kind of statements are, aren't the people aren't the people that they fired. They're not a curatorial assistant who's probably in their 20s, 30s, who is a BIPOC, they're, you know, um, former museum directors who are on a board, or they're former lawyers or business people who have put their money into the museum and now sit on a board in their 60s, 70s, you know? I see your point, and I, I do agree that it does have something to do with, you know, the, the age that you are currently, what your race is, or how you identify how long you've in the museum culture, I think also plays a part. To add to that, though, I want to make it very clear that when curators, museum admins, um, administrators, I should say, leadership in museums make statements like this or don't collect contemporary Black artists or don't look at their institution through a racially systemic lens. That is a choice. One of the beautiful things about art, if I can get on my soapbox for just a minute, and I can't, one of the things that is important to note is that that is a choice. Art is, by its nature, diverse. We have known for many hundreds of the years that art is not just a white man in Europe painting Like, that is not all that encompasses art. And having a degree in art history, 
going to school to study this in any capacity. You have to recognize, even on a basic level, that there was communication between North African artists and European artists uh, through colonization or trade or otherwise, mostly colonization. And that was true with other parts of the world as well. European art does not define everything. Thus, the white experience does not define everything. And so that is why I argue that taking a stance of neutrality has even more to do with how old you are or when you were born. It's an active choice to ignore an entire other part of the creative nuance of the art world. Absolutely. That was so well said. And I feel immediate chagrin because I think that it may have sounded like I was defending and excusing the actions of someone uh, who may be older, who just, you know, doesn't recognize other experiences. And that I just want to make sure I do not condone that as okay or want to excuse that. And you are absolutely right that it is a choice. I might venture to say that there is a correlation between that choice and, you know, the kind of community and social group, social status, peer group that you have, which does correlate with age some of the time. It does. And I think what we're what we're tiptoeing around here is if you look at the makeup of museum boards, you will find a lot of boomer age or older white folks because of how wealth is divided in this country and where wealth began and generational wealth. I mean, that is quite prominent. And so your assertion that these people are older and white, and that might be why they're putting out these statements that seem so obviously obtuse, it does have a lot to do with age and race. Absolutely. Luis Grouchos, who is the director, um, a pretty recently new appointed director at PSAM, um, referred Art News to an email newsletter that was sent out on June 9th, which I got, actually. Uh, In his letter, he says, quote, Many important and valid points are identified in this letter, which I take very seriously. Thank you for your expression of concern and care for the museum and its future. Museums, including ours, need to take steps to confront these issues about which our society has long been ambivalent. Romero, however, said that she wanted to see the museum release concrete plans for how it will change and proposed that the museum publicly release statistics on its visitors and staff and offer strategies for how the museum will make sure that these figures match the demographics of the country and the local community. She also suggested creating a, quote, rotating advisory board comprised of employees at entry level and community partners that will assess and report on the performance of anti-racism initiatives led by the museum. So those are great ideas. Those are good insights. Transparency is something that is needed in museums and I think is a great first step for museums themselves to invest in, okay, what is our makeup right now? And then showing that to the community and saying, we're not hiding anything, you know, admitting the culture at that present time. And then, you know, by admitting it to yourself, you know, researching it for yourself, being able to look at these clear points 
And then also having the community, because you serve the community as a public institution, uh, be able to comment on what they want to see. You know, that's a great first step. So the the final institution that we would like to discuss is the Minneapolis Institute of Art. We're going to talk about a petition that was released on change.org. Since the petition was released, um, more than 20 employees have been laid off from the museum. That does not include the remaining employees whose hours have been severely cut. This petition was released a few weekends ago, and it is on change.org. We will leave a link in our show notes if you would like to go see it. It is a petition that was written by Concerned Mia employees. Uh, these, these folks are presumably still staffed at Mia and so are concerned about the reprisal that we spoke of earlier in the episode, but thought that now is the time to, to show the public what the problems are at the museum. And they also wrote this petition ahead of the museum announcing their layoffs. And so the hope was to, I think, bring awareness to the systemic issues within the museum of racism and intolerance, and also to hopefully begin a dialogue with museum leadership about how they could stave off layoffs um, using a number of tactics outlined in the petition. So the petition begins, we're asking leadership at the Minneapolis Institute of Art to commit to no layoffs, no furloughs, and no hour reductions for staff, and to address the projected budget deficit through a collaborative, transparent, and equitable process. There are four specific requests, transparent sharing of current museum finances, further reduction in leadership team pay, addressing and transforming white supremacy culture at the museum, and the board of trustees needs to step in and resource Mia's greatest asset, which is the staff. The petition goes over where the funding for the Minneapolis Institute of Art comes from. Some of it comes from the Hennepin County property tax. Some of it comes from buying memberships. They do have a membership program. Others come from direct donations, whether it be direct donation of works of art or donations out of bequests and estates and trusts. So these would be people leaving funds to the museum in their wills. So when the petition was first drafted, they note that on Friday, June 12th, the staff was notified that Mia would undergo a 15.6 staff reduction. This was to solve a budget deficit for the upcoming year. Um, the problem is that this comes after countless conversations between staff and leadership about equitable ways to share that budget shortfall. However, uh, as far as we know, and at the taping of this podcast, Mia has not released the details of said budget shortfall. However, the petition goes on to say that based on um the information that is publicly available, as it is all for all nonprofits, really, for me is Form 990 for fiscal years 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018. They were able to put together an average reportable compensation for leadership positions. And I'm just going to read a few. There 
estimating 730000 for the director and president, 506000 for the assistant treasurer, and 265000 for the deputy director and chief curator. There are additional positions that are part of leadership team, four or more positions that make six figures. They requested that leadership team be transparent. They requested that there was a reduction in leadership team pay, which would essentially control how many layoffs were happening and perhaps allow for communication between staff and leadership team to increase and work together to solve this problem. They reference other museums that have set precedents by reducing the pay of leadership team to save more jobs within their institutions. And these are places like the Boston Museum of Science, the Museum of Science and Industry, and the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And while those places did have to lay off some of their staff, they also committed to a model of graduated pay cuts from leadership team down. Many of the MIA staff that were laid off were living paycheck to paycheck, making under $19 an hour. There's also other calls for the museum to address and transform white supremacy culture at the museum and for the board of trustees to leverage the staff to find uh, an equitable solution. As of right now, the petition has 2,238 signatures. Wow, that's quite a show of support. It is. Jason and I, you know, we both worked at Mia. And when we first saw this go up, we wondered what would happen. That was back in June, uh, mid-June. Since then, the layoffs have happened. But there's been no word from Mia that directly addresses this petition or its requests. We even reached out to Mia for comment and we have received nothing back. So... All we can do is report that this petition exists and and hope that we hear a response from Mia that is acknowledging the existence of this petition that is still getting signatures weeks after it was first started. That is a lot of signatures. And, you know, as we reported, the, the Palm Springs Art Museum had about 200 signatures and is a smaller institution and still made a response, like acknowledged it. This has 2000 signatures and, you know, is a larger museum, you know, it's being looked to more. And I just feel like it's impossible that the museum hasn't gotten wind of this. Yeah, I completely agree. And it just, it feels like, their people, whether still currently employed or people that they recently laid off, they're not going to do them the decency of acknowledging this and acknowledging that 2,000 people have signed this, um, including people, you know, obviously within their own institution. Is is this just going to be ignored until it dies? I mean, you know, it's, it's not going to die on the activist side. I mean, I can't imagine that no further action would ever be taken or no further conversation would ever be had by those who want change. But is the institution really just going to hope that this goes away without even 
you know, acknowledgement, politeness, decency. I don't know. Are they going to go so Minnesota nice on this? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's so strange. You know, I, I, I can't. I can't believe that a Minneapolis institution, you know, that that exists just blocks from where George Floyd was was killed, would not respond to something like this that addresses systemic racism, that addresses worker inequity, that addresses, you know, a, a racially based hierarchy. I mean, it just it baffles me. This museum has been around for over 100 years and they have in the past made some efforts to exemplify how they are responding to increased needs for diversity and inclusion. In fact, they had a whole uh, funded section of their staff devoted to diversity and inclusion, both within the museum and outside of it. They engaged with a scholarship program to get more BIPOC people into jobs in the museum. I mean, that's been going on for a couple of years and there are still things to be fixed. And I am surprised that they haven't responded at all. The other, the other museums that we talked about today have responded in some way and that it begins the process of restoring trust in these institutions that are supposed to represent their communities that are supposed to represent the whole of humanity. And especially with Mia being an encyclopedic museum they are not wanting for black indigenous artists. The Hearts of Our People was this amazing show that focused on female indigenous artists currently and in pre-colonial America. Y- you know, Mia has, has taken these steps um, and I'm surprised that there's just no response in light of everything that they've done to try to make things better. And with when faced with information that tells them that there is more work to do, there's silence. And it's not as if we're jumping on this too soon. I mean, the open letter at Palm Springs Art Museum went out on June 3rd, and the response uh, from the from the director himself came on June 9th, which you know isn't the speediest, but it's not the crazy is long period, you know, it's not like we're talking about this within 12 hours. This has been weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, something, if you feel that this is something that you would like the museum to address, you know, uh, perhaps something that could be done is writing to the museum, uh, asking about the petition, posting Mm -hmm. on social media, they do have, you know, they have a Facebook page at Arts Mia. They have Instagram at Arts Mia. You can write to them on on the website itself. You can you can send them a comment directly from the website. You can sign the petition. You can share it. You know, there's there's no limit to to how you can address this really, and and hopefully Mia will will decide in the future that they need to respond to this at least to get this work going. And for a museum that I feel is my community museum, want it to be a safe space. I want people who do not look like me and do not have my life experience, you know, by POC people. I realize that I'm very privileged and, you know, a museum may not be as daunting for me or as hostile of an environment. And, you know, I want everybody to feel you know, welcomed and able to use the museum as a resource, as 
relaxation, as education, whatever, and especially to be able, you know, as someone who also works in the arts, to be able to, you know, feel good about visiting a museum that has a positive anti-racist work culture as well. And that's the kind of museum I want to support too. become a member of is somewhere that employees say, hey, this museum's making changes and doing good things. Yeah, that's the kind of museum I want to. We would like to give a shout out to the Instagram account at change the museum, all one word. These are anonymous posts that say in a paragraph or two what their stories are of uh, unchecked racism at uh, United States museums and institutions. The account has gotten some attention from hyperallergic, but it's, it's hard to read. It's hard to read in the sense that it is heartbreaking and infuriating. Yeah. So with that, visit at Change the Museum. We will have links to everything we talked about in the show notes. If you have any questions, you can email us at stateoftheartspod at gmail.com. Thank you for staying with us, Sotans. And remember that our music is provided by the Bond. I'm not going to argue with semantics with you. <laughs> okay. We have, you know, we have, you we know what I make. issues to talk about here. We do. Okay. Shall we? Yeah. Oh, I have so many. I have so many issues. All right. <laughs> You're like a Kleenex box. <laughs> Sorry. No. You're like a, a magazine. Tissues. Yes. There we go. There we go. I think you were thinking tissues for your issues. Tissues for your issues. Wow. I'm really off today. That's right. Mm. The the third grade insults will come back eventually. <laughs> <laughs>